Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. advice for Rupert Murdoch. Fire Tucker Carlson now. And Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and then denounce Tucker Carlson's January 6th video gaslighting and then say that cliche from Casablanca. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling with the news content is going on in here. It failed. It backfired. It did not stick to the wall. Rupert, punt, bail, scapegoat get off the sinking ship feed sean hannity to the sharks let laura ingram sleep with the fishies throw tucker carlson to the wolves or just light a match near him he'll explode probably on the air last night he sounded impaired because between this and dominion rupert it's either going to be them or it's going to be you and history has proven again and again it's never you Because if you didn't notice, Rupert, first, none of your other stars, not even Hannity, the man who puts the gas in gaslighting, fully followed Tucker Carlson down the QAnon video rabbit hole. And then, Rupert, two hours before Carlson round two, you got hit over the head with Dominion documents round three. January 4th, 2021, Tucker Carlson texts Fox producer Alex Pfeiffer, quote, We are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. I truly can't wait. I hate him passionately. Unquote. 
soon to be appearing on a political billboard near you. Tucker Carlson says of Donald Trump, I hate him passionately. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. As this $1.6 billion lawsuit is unfolding and Fox is being eaten alive by the company it slandered, Tucker Carlson plowed ahead with his two-night January 6th video gaslighting gambit anyway. The cliff loomed, yet Tucker hit the gas lighting. Rupert, if this was the Republican reaction to Carlson, if this was said by a Republican senator on the record as it was, you, Rupert... Your headquarters is on fire, and your hindquarters are in a sling. I think it's bullshit. I was here. I was down there. And I saw maybe a few tourists, a few people who got caught up in things. But when you see police barricades breached, when you see police officers assaulted, all of that, or you had to be in close proximity to it, I just don't think it's helpful. Senator Tom Tillis, Republican of North Carolina, not exactly a moderate, not exactly an enemy of Fox, quote, news, unquote, and he thinks it's bullshit. And after the Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger wrote his officers an email in which he excoriated Tucker Carlson, raising the question of how much Carlson was lying when he said the Capitol Police had vetted and approved the use of the video, Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate, held up a copy of Manger's letter so everybody could get a photo or a video of him holding up Manger's letter. And McConnell promptly used the word, quote, mistake and the name, quote, Fox News in the same sentence. It was a mistake, in my view, for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at Capitol thinks. Carlson's on-air reply to that was to make, of course, a race-based insult about McConnell's wife. Others, Senator Mike Rounds, Republican of North Dakota, that was no sightseeing tour, quote, I thought it was an insurrection at that time. I still think it was an insurrection today. Senator Mitt Romney, Republican of Utah, said McCarthy made a mistake giving the video to Carlson, compared Carlson to Alex Jones gaslighting about Sandy Hook, said Carlson's portrayal was, quote, dangerous and disgusting. Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican of, he barely knows where he's from, Chuck Grassley, quote, what happened that day shouldn't have happened. Senator John Kennedy, Republican from Green Acres, quote, I was here. It was not peaceful. It was an abomination. It's not going well, Rupert. And that's just external. Internally, nobody, nobody, not Hannity, not Ingram, not little Jesse Waters, even retweeted clips of Tucker Carlson's badly edited, unconvincing con job until Ingram did something in her show late last night at 10 p.m. There was one tweet put out on Tuesday afternoon via Sean Hannity's account. It was a link to a story written by somebody identifying themselves as Hannity staffer, and it was about not Tucker Carlson, not Fox News. It was about Elon Musk reacting to the video, and it did not mention that he saw the video on Fox News. They didn't put the story on your website, Rupert. They didn't run promos. 
Not that Tucker's suckers didn't try. Media Matters got hold of a Fox internal email, quote, Ray, please promote Tucker's exclusive Jan 6 footage. Hello, all. Tonight will be the night two of our two-night investigation into the truth behind January 6th and what really happened that day. This show is already facing backlash from Senator Chuck Schumer and the usual people in the media. We look forward to providing even more footage tonight. Any promotion before the additional footage airs tonight is greatly appreciated. First of all, we all went through a month of this crap about Kevin McCarthy handing Tucker Carlson this video, and there was never any Fox Network-wide plan about promoting it? Hell, next week it is six years ago that Rachel Maddow got one page of one of Trump's tax returns, and MSNBC did everything but buy all the ads on the Super Bowl telecast, and she promoted it for 45 minutes in her own show, and she did everything except wear a top hat with neon letters on it reading, please watch me, I have lost all sense of self-respect. And you know what this desperate email from the Tucker Carlson staff produced? Brett Baer at 6 p.m., running a package, a news report on the video, the first 10 seconds of which was self-congratulatory and positive, but the rest of which grew ever increasingly dubious. And after it ended, Brett Baer came on live and said, quote, and to be clear, no one here at Fox News condones any of the violence that happened on January 6th. Well, not no one, one. And then came edition two of this last night. Carlson sounded uh, unusual in some way. He complained about the reaction to episode one. Most of the first half of his show carried just one banner Chiron graphic, which echoed Monday's The Video Proves This. The graphic read, Our reporting is accurate. The tapes confirm it. Yet other than a brief snippet showing a Capitol policeman whom he was interviewing, he didn't show any tapes. The entire premise, we look forward to providing even more footage tonight, and essentially there was no more footage. Did somebody step in? Did somebody at Fox stop it in hopes of staunching the bleeding? Because in a reversal of the oldest of news TV cliches, it led, so it bled. It was a disaster. It was a fiasco. It was a failure of biblical proportions. Congratulations, Fox, you fooled Elon Musk. For God's sakes, 10 times a day, Elon Musk gets fooled by somebody calling himself Cat Turd. It was so bad, Rupert. Kevin McCarthy waited nearly 24 hours to say anything in defense of the havoc he let Tucker Carlson wreak. And when he finally spoke, Speaker McCarthy said he couldn't really comment because he had not seen the Tucker Carlson show. Tucker who? Never heard of him. And the end result for Fox, quote, news, unquote, we are again talking about how its millionaire propagandists say one thing on television and the exact opposite off of it. Dominion Round 3 produced a Tucker Carlson email, a different one, other than the one about him hating Trump, that could not have been more timely nor appropriate if it had been written late yesterday afternoon with the goal of making everything worse. 
Six days after the 2020 election, Carlson's texting some other unknown clown at Fox about his belief the fraud crap was not crap, and he says it was, quote, bad for the country to have this much doubt and suspicion. This is exactly why people believe in conspiracies, unquote. No, Tucker Carlson, you ass. People believe in conspiracies because of asses like you, because you're a conspiracy nut. You're a conspiracy monger. You're a conspiracy shill. You're an amoral slime. You heard Mitt Romney. You have become Alex Jones with a better haircut. Maybe. Quote, still getting mud thrown at us. Murdoch writes in January 2021 to his Fox quote news unquote CEO Suzanne Scott. Maybe Sean and Laura went too far. All very well for Sean to tell you he was in despair about Trump. But what did he tell his viewers? November 10th, 2020, Maria Bartiromo tells Steve Bannon by text that she will not let the producers of her show call Biden president-elect, quote, until this moves through the courts. Bannon replies, quote, the process is to destroy Biden's presidency before it starts, if it starts. A Fox anchor is colluding with a convict about how to overthrow the government of the United States. Why? Well, we had the answer. Bannon then texted Bartiromo back, quote, we want you to run against Senator Schumer. This is your moment. And round three of the Dominion documents also brought us more of the utter, blank, dedicated self-prostitution of Carlson and Hannity and Ingram, and in one case, all of them in a three-way text chain. Middle of November 2020 is the decision desk of Fox called Arizona for Biden, which was reality, but the Fox audience then left because it didn't want reality. Ingram, my anger at the news channel is pronounced. Carlson. It should be. We devote our lives to building an audience and they let Chris Wallace and Leland effing Vittert wreck it. Too much. Hannity. Too much is correct. I'm disgusted at this point. Ingram. I think the three of us have enormous power. We have more power than we know or exercise. We should all think about how together we can force a change. The audience that exists comes for us. Are there any more questions as to why I stopped dating her? Congrats, Tucker. The audience you think you built that you actually just inherited from poor old O'Reilly cannot handle the truth. Congrats, Laura. You found a way to exercise your power and force a change by getting Rupert Murdoch to fire all three of you. And now you can all go fight it out with Greg Kelly to see who gets the plum 8 p.m. slot on Newsmax. If Greg Kelly can be distracted away from playing with his toes. <sighs> I'm having way too much fun here. It is conceivable Rupert Murdoch will not fire them, maybe even 50-50, that he won't fire all of them. But what I said before is really true. Every day since he took over the Adelaide News in Australia in 1952, whenever Rupert Murdoch has seen that it is them or me, the them people tend to disappear. 
He fired star reporters in Australia. He closed a newspaper in England. Rather than let the scandal evolve, which could have destroyed him, he wrung every last dollar of O'Reilly here and then fired him for cause. And yesterday, and as the desperate email from the Tucker Carlson producer implied, it was what they pretended was the only blowback out of the Senate, Chuck Schumer called them out calling Carlson's first episode of this, quote, one of the most shameful hours we have ever seen on cable television. As an aside, on behalf of such MSNBC entrants in this competition as Dietl and Daniels and Rita Cosby live and direct and Scarborough Country, I would like to have a conversation privately with Senator Schumer later. But his major point He's right. Shameful. It was the reverse version of Murrow going after McCarthy. Happily, it blew up in Murdoch's face and in combination with the Dominion documents, not just round three, but the earlier stuff from rounds one and two. More importantly, it underscored that Chuck Schumer has every senatorial right to establish a select committee to investigate the corruption at Fox, quote, news, unquote, and at News Corp and by Tucker Carlson, and by Sean Hannity, and by Laura Ingram, and by Rupert Murdoch. Senator, subpoena them. Quoting your own tweet, Tucker Carlson is siding with the enemies of democracy. You're goddamn right he is. The whole channel is siding with the enemies of democracy. It always has. It exists to do that. It is an anti-American crime syndicate in plain sight. Treat it as such under oath. And if you need a specific probable crime, there is this little matter of Rupert Murdoch sharing details of Joe Biden's campaign commercials with Jared Kushner, maybe even showing them to him. It's unclear. Murdoch answered yes when he was asked on the record about, quote, giving Kushner a preview. But now in the new tranche from Dominion, there is an email trail on this subject. No, you are spending less on TV than Biden, Murdoch wrote. However, my people tell me his advertisements are a lot better creatively than yours. And Kushner replies, should have some new creative out this week. And Murdoch replies, your advertisement at 1 p.m. this Sunday, an improvement. A man who owns an alleged news network is not allowed to consult one campaign about what the other campaign is doing. And if he really did show Kushner a Biden commercial, Rupert Murdoch should be in chains somewhere. And Senator, if this still does not seem to be reason enough to convene a formal Senate investigation of Rupert Murdoch and News Corp and Fox, there is one new overriding question the nation needs answered. Why is Tucker Carlson hiding the rest of the January 6th video. What does Fox not want America to see? Two can play this game, Mother Tucker. Still ahead of us in this edition of Countdown, Elon Musk taunts a disabled man who was asking him if he had uh, been fired or not fired by Twitter. That it turns out the guy had sold his company to Twitter 
And the deal was, if he was fired by Twitter, Twitter owed him $100 million. Suddenly, Musk could not apologize fast enough. Another National Hockey League Pride Night is canceled at the last minute as the league's slogan, Hockey is for Everyone, turns out to be nothing better than a lousy brand name. The commissioner of this league has got to go and go now. And you ever heard a story about a guy who suggested that they use the name General Motors for their new company, but he didn't bother to get a million dollars for his idea or get anything and then turn down some stock too? Yeah, that was my great-grandpa. Things I promised not to tell coming up. That's next. This is Countdown. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Washington as an adjunct to the Fox quote news unquote story. This salient question from New Jersey Congressman Bill Pascrell. Why are all publicly displayed TVs in the U.S. Capitol required by the Republicans to be tuned to Fox quote news unquote? As Pascrell wrote in a letter to Speaker McCarthy, Fox's owner admits Fox deliberately lies to its viewers. A station that helped spark January 6th should not be forced on visitors to our capital, unquote. 
were forced on Americans. Dateline Mar-a-Lago, Trump in a radio interview with Sean Hannity, made a little oopsie. Since the Russians invaded Ukraine a year ago, he has insisted it would never have happened if he had still been president. To Hannity, he revealed why. Why? Well, he just would have given Putin part of Ukraine. Let me ask you about Ukraine. You've said that before. Why would it not have happened if you were president? He would have never done it. He would have never. That's without even negotiating a deal. I could have negotiated. At worst, I could have made a deal to take over something. You know, there are certain areas that are Russian-speaking areas, frankly. But you could have worked a deal. Ah, the old giveaway somebody else's country ploy, the one that Neville Chamberlain used with such success with Hitler at Munich in 1938. Swell idea, Fats. And Dateline Capitol Hill, back inside the mind of Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. We're going in, so don't wear your good shoes. Part of the Republican platform of doing a lot about things that matter only a little. The persecution of the one-tenth to one-third of one percent of the American population that is transgender. Female takes testosterone. The profound and permanent effects of the hormone can be seen in a matter of months. Voices drop, beards sprout, body fat is redistributed, sexual interest explodes, aggression increases, and mood can be unpredictable. Funny, who does that description remind you of? As they say, every Republican accusation is really a confession, isn't it, Congresswoman P.E.D.? This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, another Pride Night disaster in the NHL, the National Hypocrisy League. The Minnesota Wild held their Pride Night last night, and unlike last year when they wore the now traditional warm-up uniforms for 15 minutes, which say nothing on them, but merely have the numbers and some of the letters in a pride color pattern, The team did not wear these uniforms. The problem was the self-congratulatory team press release previewing Pride Night in Minnesota was up until hours before, and it read in part, quote, Part of the themed game programming includes custom-designed wild pride jerseys worn by the team during pregame warm-ups, which will be signed and auctioned off starting March 7th. The Wild later issued a boilerplate statement about supporting the LGBTQ community, which did not explain in the slightest or even once what happened to the uniforms. But if it's just like the NHL's disaster on the New York Rangers Pride Night earlier this season and the Philadelphia Flyers Pride Night earlier still, it's because a Russian player or players on the Minnesota team refused to wear the warm-ups with rainbow coloring for, quote, religious reasons. In Philadelphia, every Flyer player except the Russian-born defenseman Ivan Provorov wore those warm-ups. The Flyer simply excused Provorov from the warm-up period. In New York, the culprit or culprits have never been identified, but the Rangers only had two Russian-born players at the time on their roster, star goalie Igor Shosturkin and forward Artemi Panarin. 
if the Wild hope to keep the identity of the homophobe on their team a secret, they're going to have to move quickly. There is only one Russian on the Minnesota roster. The one Russian on the Minnesota roster is their star scorer, Kirill Kaprizov. When the Provorov embarrassment occurred, it was explained that he was Russian Orthodox, and that religion does not approve of same-sex relationships. Nobody mentioned this at the time, that the Russian Orthodox Church did approve of something else, namely Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And its leaders said out loud in front of people with tape rolling that the invasion was justified in part because they had pride nights in Ukraine. This was a homophobic war that church was supporting. This circles back to an underlying issue the National Hockey League will not deal with. I should say it's another issue it will not deal with. The NHL is very good at pretending to do something important when, in fact, it is doing nothing. Why are Russian nationals permitted to play in the NHL right now? This country is overtly and fiercely supporting Ukraine as it defends itself against Russia, and so is Canada. Yet here are Russian homophobes like Provorov and presumably Kaprizov and Shosturkin and or Panarin taking North American money. To say nothing of Alexander Ovechkin of the Washington Capitals, who is both chasing the game's goal-scoring record and still openly supporting, in public, the dictator and warmonger Putin. These players should be given a simple choice. Repudiate your Russian citizenship or get out. And don't tell me about risks to their families. They have all long since made enough money and had enough time to get their families out of that stinking country. It was one thing when it was just these guys sucking some cash out of the U.S. and Canada, but now they are advancing a terrorist state internationally and a homophobic one inside our country. All while the NHL and its commissioner, Gary Bettman, push a slogan, which is itself a complete lie. Hockey is for everyone. And we should note for clarity that everyone no longer includes gay people in the National Hockey League. But at least the commissioner of the National Hockey League has made sure it does still include Russian bigots. The Russian players have to go. And Commissioner Gary Bettman has to be fired. Ahead. So, yeah, my great-grandfather dreamed up the name General Motors, and what did he leave his descendant, me? Well, he left me this wonderful, shiny anecdote, which I'll tell you next. First, it's time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, Mayor Raz Baraka of Newark, New Jersey. Nearly a month ago now... The mayor staged an elaborate signing ceremony declaring that Newark and the United States of Kalesa in India would become sister cities. I, I, I know, one is a city, one is a state, never mind. Believe it or not, that's not the real problem here. The real problem here is there is no such place as the United States of Kalesa. It's all the invention of a religious nut in India who's been under investigation for sexual assault, and nobody in the mayor's office of Newark or in New Jersey or New York City media bothered to even Google the United States of Kalisa. And, you know, the sad part here is they went and made a big old Sister Cities sign and everything over in Newark. 
Runner-up British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak with an unexpected second appearance in as many episodes, again for a really disastrous tweet. You don't see this every day. Sunak sent out a warning about the UK's new zero-tolerance policy for undocumented immigration, and it reads, If you come to the UK illegally, you can't claim asylum. You can't benefit from our modern slavery protections. But there's a big graphic next to it reading, You will be denied access to the UK's modern slavery system. I get it. It's an attempt to stop human trafficking, and that's a good thing the slavery thing but this phrasing you can't benefit from our modern slavery protections you will be denied access to the UK's modern slavery system that doesn't say what you think it says like the UK's modern slavery system everything's up to date in 21st century Britain come for the channel crossing stay to enjoy access to our modern slavery system it just it just doesn't it's not what you're trying to say it's the opposite Speaking of which, our winner again is Elon Musk, who has spent $44 billion to buy Twitter to make sure everybody could watch himself own 16 times a day. A man named Haralder Torlefsen tweeted to Musk that nine days earlier, his access to his Twitter work computer had been discontinued, and in all the time since, he had not been able to get a straight answer out of the company, had he been fired or not. Torlifson said something about HR asking him to be a hands-on designer, and he couldn't be hands-on because of his illness. He really only could use one finger. Within about two tweets, Musk was insulting the man and mocking his illness, which was muscular dystrophy. He wrote that Torlifson, who goes by the name Halley, quote, did no actual work claimed as his excuse that he had a disability that prevented him from typing, yet was simultaneously tweeting up a storm. Musk finally told Holly, yes, you were fired. That's when it turned out that Holly had sold his design company to Twitter and stayed on as an employee. And his sale deal with Twitter said that if he were ever to be fired by Twitter, they had to pay him the entire purchase price of $100 million. The next Musk tweet. I would like to apologize to Holly for my misunderstanding. Blah, 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 blah. Elon translation, I would like to apologize to Halley so I can keep my $100 million Musk once again today's worst person in the world. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. Still ahead on Countdown, my great-grandfather told this story about himself every day until he died. It was legend in the family. There is considerable circumstantial evidence that it is all horrifyingly true. We even know the last date when it could have happened. September 16th, 1908. So we'll call that the day my great-grandfather gave away General Motors. Next. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need. You can help every dog has its day to Dallas, Texas, and Lancaster, Trinket, Charlotte, and Biggs. Four dogs have their day. They, in the worst state of crisis, arrived separately at the Dallas Dog RRR Rescue. Dallas Dogger Rescue. All in one week. Trinket had pneumonia and needed plasma. Lancaster was a stray puppy with parvo. Charlotte has a foreign body stuck inside. Big, so sick he needed an oxygen tent. They arrived simultaneously, wiped out the rescue's funds. They need 30000 to continue. They've gotten about ten. They're trying to raise the rest on Cuddly so these four dogs can live. If you can donate, you can find them on Cuddly under hospitalization after hospitalization or just check my Twitter feeds. I thank you, and Biggs, Charlotte, Lancaster, and Trinket, thank you as well. Antony Zelinski was born in Krakow in Poland in 1868. My sister just found some evidence that he changed the way his name was spelled, that it was originally Zelensky, with two Y's or two I's at the end, just like the Ukrainian president. We're kind of pleased with her discovery. Antony, or as my father nicknamed him, the great financier, was a natural musician. He could sing, play any instrument. He could compose music and lyrics. He could teach you how to play. He could build or repair anything from a kazoo to a grand piano. And that, from his late teens, is how he made his money. He traveled all around Europe from maybe 1886 onwards, staying at rich people's houses for several days, teaching the girls how to sing and the boys how to play whatever was lying around the house, fixing the family harpsichord, cobbling together the odd flute. One day, we're guessing around 1889, 1890, he traveled to the home of well-off merchants in Odessa, then part of Russia, the Shevchenkos. He taught the boys how to sing and the girls how to play the organ, and then he uh, fell in love 
with the youngest daughter, Matrona. The Shevchenkos were not happy when they discovered them in love and chased my great-grandfather and their daughter out of the house, out of the city, and out of the country. Antony went home to Poland, married his child bride, returned to Krakow, where all of his family then chased them out of that house, out of that city, and out of that country. Get lost with you and your Russian whore, he would later tell the nephew for whom my father was named, Teddy. Antony and Matrona had to think fast. It's 1889, 1890. Where's a hardworking guy thrown out of Russia and Poland going to go? They arrived in New York City within weeks. As I said, he was a natural musician. He picked up English quickly, and supposedly within a month or two, he was leaving his wife, my great-grandmother, in an apartment in the Bronx and getting on trains for distant cities as far west as Chicago, going to the rich people's homes and getting $100 to teach them music, write music, repair musical instruments, and then get right back on the train to New York. Though he earned a very good income doing this, especially for an immigrant, Antony and Matrona lived frugally, often without hot water in their home, because my great-grandfather was now driven, driven to avenge himself. Teddy, he would tell his nephew, who told my dad, I save every dollar I can save. I invest in the safest investment in the world, the Polish national bonds. For one day I shall return to Krakow. I shall buy the biggest house on top of the biggest hill and stand outside all day, waving my money at my relatives who made me and your aunt leave and saying to them, F you, this is my goal. And on and on this went. For a decade and more, until he went to Flint, Michigan, to do his usual routine, to stay at the house of a prosperous American, write a family song, repair the broken tuba, teach the kids to play the guitar, and generally delight the family. In this case, the family of a businessman who he remembered as Mr. Billy. Came the end of my great-grandfather's stay with Mr. Billy in Michigan and his family in Michigan, and Mr. Billy was so taken with Antony Zielinski that he took him personally to the train station in Flint and went with him onto the platform to wait for the train. Mr. Zielinski, he said, we have been delighted to have you here, that I would be honored if you would accept, instead of the $500 I owe you, please take $1,000 in stock certificates from my business, my way of saying thanks and hoping you can return and visit us again. My great-grandfather said he was almost moved to tears by the gesture. But, Mr. Billy, he explained, I live very inexpensively and I invest all my money in the world's safest investment, the Polish national bonds. Mr. Billy congratulated Antony on his prudence, but said, I believe I am at the cusp of the next great business in this country. I would again offer you this stock. I think you will make so much money that you could buy all the Polish national bonds. My great-grandfather, standing there on the train station in Flint, Michigan, thought for a moment. I know, Mr. Billy, you mentioned you own a manufactory in town. What is this you manufacture? Mr. Billy said, we are in the automobile business, Mr. Zielinski. My great-grandfather lit up. Ah, yes, the streets of New York are filled with automobiles. This is the coming thing. But I will still take the cash and invest in the world's safest investment, the Polish national bonds. The train was late. There was an awkward silence now between them, which my great-grandfather finally broke. Do I know the name of your company, Mr. Billy? Mr. Billy replied, well, that's the topic of the moment, Mr. Zielinski, and I must say, having gotten to know you a little bit, I'm not at all surprised you brought this subject up. Currently, my company is called Buick Motor Cars. 
My great-grandfather said, Ah, yes, Buke. I've heard of Buke. You're changing the name? Not exactly, said Mr. Billy. I believe the automotive business is going to grow exponentially, but we have one large company in the field, Ford, and we have dozens of smaller ones like Buick, and I'm about to buy up several of my competitors and form one big company, bigger than Ford, and we will dominate automobiles for decades to come. Ah, yes, said my great-grandfather. And what will you call this behemoth? Mr. Billy laughed. Again, you cut to the heart of the matter, Mr. Zelensky. We are debating that right now. We need a name that expresses our national stature. My great-grandfather shook his head at the obviousness of this. The problem is an easy one, no? You use national, national motor cars. Mr. Billy laughed. Again, your insight is extraordinary. That was our first thought as well. But would you believe there is a company in Indiana, of all places, they make electric automobiles, which will never work, and they're called National Motor Vehicles. We need another name. American is also taken. Continental is taken. Damn it, Mr. Zelensky, we can't think of a good name that isn't already taken. My great-grandfather, who had just turned down the stock, and $1,000 worth of the stock in this company, thought for a second. You wish to express the national, the American, the broadly available or available, national, continental, national, uh, what is the word in English? The uh, general, the general availability of your vehiculars. Well, Mr. Billy, why not that? Why not general? General automobiles, general automotive, general motor car, maybe uh, general motors. Now it was time for Mr. Billy to become pensive. Finally, he spoke. General Motors. Hmm. It does have a certain ring to it, Mr. Zelinsky. Oh, look, here's your train. Ah. <sighs> Mr. Billy was, of course, Billy Durant, and he owned Durant Dort. And then he owned Buick, and then he consolidated 13 auto manufacturers and 10 parts and accessory companies together into, as it was called on the day Billy and his partners opened the escrow account, Wednesday, September 16, 1908, General Motors Holding Company. My great-grandfather, having gotten another $500 to invest in the world's safest investment, instead of $1,000 in stock in not General Motors in 1908, but the company that would become General Motors and having given its chairman the name General Motors for free, waved goodbye, got on the train, returned to New York. He died 15 years later, and to his credit, we know of the detail of this story because the person who told it to everyone with a laugh, with a warning to his relatives that none of them had the genes of a businessman either, was my great-grandfather himself. Needless to say... This good, self-deprecating humor makes him my favorite of all my ancestors. And I hope wherever he went when he died in 1923, his humor went with him. Because there were several postscripts to this story that lend it authenticity and induce further rage in his descendants. My father was very much alive in 1940. He was an 11-year-old boy with his Uncle Teddy, Antony's nephew, living with my dad and grandparents and my uncles in the Bronx. My dad, who did not meet his grandfather, Antony Zelinsky, said there was a knock on the apartment door one day, and he opened it to the sight, as he put it, of the two best suits of clothing I had ever seen. The men wearing them asked for my dad's uncle. 
He got him, and the men began to speak Polish to Uncle Teddy. Gentlemen, we are here in America. You will please speak English in front of my family. Mr. Zelinsky, one of them said, we know that your uncle left you his investments in Polish national bonds. He was obviously a great patriot. We represent the Polish government in exile. When we run the Nazis out of our homeland and freedom is again ours, I know your uncle would have, and you would, want the free Polish national state to not be burdened financially, to be unburdened, in fact, to the greatest possible degree. Mr. Zelensky, your uncle was the fourth largest private investor in Polish national bonds in North America. In fact, he was just behind the National Bank of Mexico. Will you retire his bonds for a nominal fee as a great Polish patriot? My dad was never sure how nominal the fee was, but he was convinced his uncle got less than $500 for what was at least $100,000 in bonds due in the year 1950 or later. My dad did not spend his life wondering about his grandfather's magnificent moment of investment stupidity, but it would occasionally wake him in the middle of the night. And on his nightly commutes from Manhattan to our little home in the suburbs, he came to know the other regulars on the train, just like Don Draper did on Mad Men. Same train, in fact. And one of the regulars on the train turned out to be a stock historian. Eventually, Dad told him the story of Antony Zelinsky and Billy Durant and General Motors, and the stock historian invited him to stop by the office at lunch one day. Sit down, Ted. And I mean, sit down, Ted. The historian showed his math. This was what $1,000 in Buick in 1908 turned into when Billy Durant created General Motors in 1908. And here's where it split. And see, and here's where it split again, and here's where it quartered after they forced Durant out, and then he bought Chevrolet, and he came back in and took over General Motors again, and it split, and my father said he started to sweat. Just tell me already! Ted, the $1,000 your great-grandfather turned down in General Motors in 1908 would now be worth approximately $60 million. My father said he struggled to not pass out. His friend from the train then said plus the value of the name. I can't get that exactly, the stock historian said, but it's got to be another couple million, five, ten maybe, especially if he'd taken stock in exchange for the name. There's one more twist to the knife. Well, so far, there's still plenty of time for more. When the unions ran the Soviets out of Poland and Lech Walesa became president of the Free Poland in 1990, he gave a speech establishing the new government. He spoke naturally in Polish. Until, that is, it was time to address one topic. The president read that part of the speech in English. My government will recognize and honor the following years of the Polish national bonds. My father called me in Los Angeles that night. He had spoken to his stock historian friend again and gotten a new rough estimate. My great-grandfather had turned down 60, maybe $70 million in General Motors stock to keep, say, $100,000 in Polish bonds due in the year 1950. And Lech Walesa had just said, we'll pay on those bonds that were due in 1950. And so if great-grandfather's nephew, Teddy, had just sat on them, those bonds would have been worth five or six million dollars. Keith, my father said quietly, let me remind you again what the great financier, my grandfather, told everyone, told all of us. 
none of us, none of us have the genes of a businessman. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the studios of the Olbermann Broadcasting Empire, high atop its headquarters in the Sports Capsule Building here in New York. The building I do not own. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown Musical Directors, produced by TKO Brothers. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olderman theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, and it appears here courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad. Everything else was pretty much my fault. Let's count down for this the 792nd day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. So until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at- 